Oh, thank you guys. Let's give them a hand for that. How many of you know that there is no better way to discover God's goodness, His nature, His character, His likeness, His ways, His thoughts, and His plan for your life than by reading this book? Anyone agree with that? And yet, we might agree with that, but a lot of people don't read this book. Actually, according to studies, they estimate that about only 11% of Christians will actually read the Bible every single day. Now, I'm not going to ask you to self-identify who you are. But you've got to ask the question, if, if we believe this is the best way to discover God and His goodness and His nature and His character and His plan for our lives, why are we not reading it every single day? And it turns out there's a bunch of reasons. Number one, people feel like they're too busy, right, to get into it. Too busy to actually study this word. Another reason is people feel like they've tried, but they didn't really understand it. Like people will say, like, I, I tried reading the Bible. I, I gave it a shot. I, it didn't make any sense to me. Or I read it, but it kind of bored me. Or I read it, but nothing in it seemed to apply to my life. But I think the number one reason, besides the fact that the devil's always trying to steal the word from us, the number one reason we don't get into the word of God is because a lot of people just don't know how. They don't know how to actually study this effectively. And I know this to be true because over the years I've had thousands of spiritual conversations with people. So I know this for people that have been a Christian for two seconds and those who have been Christians for 20 years. Undoubtedly, one of the biggest issues right across the board is how do I have an effective Bible study time? How do I do this in a way that it... Like I understand it and it adds value to my life. And so today I really have one goal. And that is to really, hopefully, help you create effective, regular Bible study. Because I want to say this, and I'm not overstating it. This could be the number one most important thing you develop in your spiritual life. This could be the number one most important habit that you develop in your life. There's possibly nothing else more important, and most likely, if you've been a Christian for a while, you've given it a shot. If you've been a Christian for a while, you've probably tried it out, and because I, I, a lot of people that I speak to have tried one of two methods, right? The first method is like, okay, I'm going to read the Bible, and so they open it at the front, they start in Genesis, right? In Genesis, it's pretty exciting, and a lot's happening there, and they go to Exodus, and that's pretty cool too, and and then they kind of die in Leviticus, right? And if you're not laughing at that, it's just because you've never read Leviticus, right? Or the other method that people seem to try is the lucky dip method. Anyone know what the lucky dip method is? You heard of that? They're like, God, I'm going through something. Okay, Lord, give me a scripture, Lord. Give me one to stop, Lord. I'm struggling with my children, Lord. Like, just give me a word, God. Give me a word for my kids, Lord. Give me a word, okay? Okay, 2 Kings uh, 6, verse 28, 29. The woman said to me, give me your son so we may eat him today. <laughs> and tomorrow we will eat my son. So we cooked my son and ate him. Okay, Lord. Johnny, come for supper, right? Like, no, like that is a terrible way of studying God's word. And very often what you're trying to read is not going to really make sense or apply to your life. It's very seldom that that actually works out. 
And so how do we get to effective Bible study? How do we do this? Well, we have a word for this time in your Christian walk. It's a very Christianese word. We call it quiet time. Everyone say quiet time. Basically, quiet time is just spending time alone with God. And I want to say this, and please hear me out, because I couldn't mean this more. There is no way you can have a deep, meaningful relationship with God without regular quiet time. And you know why? It's because this thing you signed up for is not just a belief. It's not a religion. What you signed up for is a relationship. And relationship means you've got to invest that time. Right? And, and, and this makes sense. We know this because I want you to think about your weakest relationships. Think about some of the people you might work with or go to school with. You know those guys, you can work with them for years. But if all you do when you walk into the office in the morning is like, hey, hey, how are you? No, I'm good. Have a good day. You too. You're leaving work. Cheers, man. See you tomorrow. Cheers. You can do that for years. Eventually, I mean, years later, that person might leave and you don't even shed a tear. You're not even sad. And you're like, oh, I feel bad. I worked with them for years. I don't even, don't even know them. Why? Because you just threw each other cliche one-liners all day. What do you think is going to happen if you do that in your relationship with God? Because you have a relationship. Wake up every morning. Oh, hey, God. Uh, blessed today. Thank you, Lord. Yeah, God, okay, I need this right now. Okay. Good night, Lord. Well, you can do that for years, and all you'll end up with is a watered-down, weak relationship. The only way to have a strong relationship with God is to regularly spend personal one-on-one -on -one time with Him. Because this is a relationship. There's no shortcuts to this. There's no other way. And so if you are really going to have a, any kind of meaningful relationship with the God of creation, you've got to spend one-on-one -on -one time with Him. One-on-one -on -one personal time. Just you and Him. And if you don't, you can end up with spiritual anorexia. Where your spirit man is literally like starving. Right, when your spirit man is like trying to survive in like one meal a week, if you come to church, for some of you it's like one meal a month, well, finally I get to eat. For some of you it's like two meals a year, like Easter and Christmas, right? Oh, I finally get to eat. And so perhaps for some of you, the problem at the moment is that your spirit man is starving because it's just never being fed. And you're hoping the church is going to do it for you. And so, you know, every few days you pitch up at a church and you're like, okay, I can finally eat now. But actually your spirit's starving. And I wonder if we could have those spiritual goggles, if God could give us that. And if we could see the health of all of your spirit, your spirit man and the spirit woman like here. I wonder how many of you would just be like on the brink of death. You're just starving, right? Because if that happens, if you're just kind of relying on a church to feed you once a week with a 30-minute sermon... I want to tell you point blank, it's not enough. You need to feed your spirit more than that. And if that's all you're feeding the spirit, eventually you're going to feel like, man, I'm starving. And you know who you'll blame? The church. You'll be like, the church isn't feeding me enough. That 30-minute meal I'm eating once a week, it's not enough for me. Yeah, you're right. It's not enough. But the reason it's not enough is because there's this beautiful thing in God's word, in our spiritual journey, there's this beautiful thing where you can feed yourself. 
In fact, this is what we're supposed to do as we grow in our walk with God. We're meant to feed ourselves. Look at someone and encourage them with the truth. Say to them, feed yourself. Feed yourself. Guys, even Jesus needed to do this. Even Jesus, the Son of God, a member of the Trinity, we, we, we see this all over these illustrations, all over Scripture where even Jesus withdrew to feed himself. Look at this. I want to just show you a few. Matthew 14, 23. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was alone, private, personal, one-on-one time with the God of creation. Mark 1.35, in the early morning while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, went away to a secluded place, and there was praying private, personal, one-on-one time with the God of creation. Luke 5.16, but Jesus often withdrew to a lonely place and prayed. Everyone say often. He often withdrew to a place, private, personal, one-on-one time with the God of creation. And let's not kid ourselves, if Jesus needed to do it, how much more you and me? If Jesus needed to have that personal private time, how much more of the member of the Trinity needed to do it? Absolutely. You're not going to survive. And my hope today really is that some of us would move away from spiritual starvation, waiting for someone else to feed us. And we would realize, actually, the whole idea is that I start feeding Myself, I call this the spiritual life cycle of a believer. I made this little graphic because this is how I kind of picture it. I picture it at the beginning. It's step one is that you and I, we're just a baby. Right? We're a baby that needs to be fed. Just like any baby. We, we come to the faith. We know nothing. And we need everyone to spoon feed it to us. Like, and that's right. And it's fitting. That's how we come in. We don't know what the Bible is. We don't know how to pray. We've got all these questions about God and His goodness. And everything needs to be spoon-fed to us because we're unable to feed ourselves. But as we keep on walking with God, we become like those teenagers in our house that start making their own food. We start to learn, oh, I can make my own breakfast and I can make my own lunch and I can start experimenting with cooking some suppers. Like right now in my house, I... Our three older kids pack their own lunches, which means my wife only has to pack four lunches now every single morning, right? Because the older kids have learned, hey, they can take care of their own school lunches. And then eventually we move to adulthood where we become the cooks in the house. And the idea is that we don't just keep like, yeah, I can feed myself. No, no, no. The plan is the moment you can feed yourself and you've figured that out and you're healthy, now go find a baby and you be the parent. Now the idea is you become the father, you become the mother in the house. We see scripture encouraging this again and again and again. In fact, we see scripture quite frustrated with Christians who have walked a long road with God and yet still want to be treated like babies where someone's feeding them. Let me just point out one part in Hebrews 5 verse 12. In fact, by this time, you ought to be teachers, it says in Hebrews 5 verse 12. Come on, you you ought to be a... Teacher by now. You need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word. Can we get that scripture up there? You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, still being an infant, is not acquainted with what? Anyone who lives on milk 
still being an infant is not acquainted with what? The teachings about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use, everyone say constant use, they have trained themselves to distinguish between good and from evil, right? Through constant use of the teachings of righteousness, I train myself to get off the milk of God's word and now eat solid food from God's word so that what? I can become a teacher. Some of you by now ought to be teachers yourself. That's what it's saying. That's why this church, we try to create so many platforms for people who we know are mothers and fathers to act like mothers and fathers, right? Where they get a chance now to teach others, where they can become like a youth leader or a kid's life teacher or a circle leader or help in our courses. Why? Because that's biblical. The moment you've learned how to feed yourself, you should be feeding others. And like Hebrews says, and I want to say this, some of you, you've been a Christian for a long time. And you know how to feed yourself. And I just want to quote to you, in fact, though by this time, you ought to be teachers. The idea of the spiritual cycle is not to get to a place where you can just feed yourself. It's to get to a place where you can now feed others. This is a spiritual life cycle. So we've got to learn how to get off the bottle and stop expecting someone else to feed us. But not for those of you who are new, who are baby Christians, who are growing. If you're brand new to this, it's perfectly acceptable to now be expecting someone else to spoon feed you. That's how we grow. Which means, by the way, that we should get to a place spiritually where we're no longer coming to church to be fed. My primary reason for coming to church is not anymore for someone to feed me. I'm not sitting back saying, feed me, dude. Right? My primary reason of coming to church is because this is the environment in which there are people that I feed. There are people here that I'm discipling. There's people here that I'm leading. There's people here that I'm praying for, that I'm counseling. My primary reason. And every now and again, you might find a meal appealing. And it's nice, guys. It's nice. We all, we all like eating someone else's food right? So it's nice we can come have a snack, but it should not. A 30-minute sermon once a week should not sustain you. It should never feel like that's enough. The Bible wants you to feed yourself. So how do we do this? Well, let me stop by saying there's no one way to do it. There's no right formula. There's no specific steps. Why? Because this isn't a religion. This is a relationship, and you can't formalize relationship. Relationships are living. They move. They're dynamic. And so even as you come to your quiet time, your quiet time is not about information gathering and knowledge building. It's about relationship building. So whatever is good for that relationship, do that and do it often. Whatever is bad for that relationship, stop doing it. It's relationship building time. And yet, even within me saying that there's no formula, I do think there's some good advice I can give you. Some good steps, some proven things that have worked. And so here's what I would recommend as we hopefully start building these quiet times into our daily lives. What are some practical steps we can give each other to help us do this well? Well, number one, step number one is to set aside a certain amount of private, distraction-free 
unhurried time every day. Set, set aside a certain amount of private, distraction-free, unhurried time every single day. Be it 10 minutes, if that's all you can manage at the moment. Be it two hours, if you have the time to do that. Whatever it is, just give something. Start somewhere. And make sure this time is private, unhurried, and distraction-free. So let's break some of that down. First of all, I want it to be private. I want to get into a place where no one's going to bother me. I want to be able to close the door. I want it to be a place where I'm not going to be bothered. I want it to be distraction-free. In other words, as I sit in this place, this might be a good time for me to like put my phone off or away, turn off the notifications, close the door, turn off the TV. Why? Well, if, you, if you're anything like the people I know, there are a thousand things fighting for your attention every second of the day. And you just have to pick up your phone to see 50 notifications from 25 different apps and you'll also find it to be true that there is spiritual warfare happening around your quiet time. In other words, the Bible, the, the devil's always trying to get you out of it. So it will be amazing the moment you sit down with the word, right? This will be the time where you remember suddenly that email that you forgot to send last night. And the breaking news just pops up on your phone. Or you suddenly, oh man, I'm, so, I'm suddenly so tired. Why? There's spiritual warfare around this moment. The devil knows that this is a key for you to get close in a strong relationship with God, he's going to try to steal you out of it. So you've got to be committed to saying, I'm going to make this private. I'm going to make it every day. I'm going to make it distraction-free. I know people who use their closet, right? They'd one by one meter space. They get in the closet. They must have kids, right? And they're like, this is a place. It's distraction-free. I can't focus on anything else. I leave my phone on the bed. I'm in the closet now. Some people call this their secret place. Right, this is this. No one knows. I'm just. This is private, and it's so important that this place is unhurried. Everyone say unhurried. In other words, I'm not trying to fit this in the busy parts of my day. I'm trying to find a part of my day that dips a little bit, that quietens down. Whether that be before everyone wakes up, whether that be like in my lunch break, that's regular, and I know every lunch break I can go there, and it's private and it's unhurried. This is not something you should be, be trying to fit in between two me meetings or or hoping you just kind of find the space for during the day or like doing while you're driving your car. No, like you want this to be unhurried time where your full attention and full focus is on God. Why? Because the best relationships are built with full focus. You guys know what it's like trying to have a conversation with someone who only gives you half their focus? Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, no, wow. Okay, cool. Yeah, that's great. Cool. Uh-huh. Isn't it frustrating? Don't do that to God. In this time, make it unhurried, distraction-free. Make it completely focused time. And as you're doing this, I know some of the busy bees, the busy people are thinking, how will I fit this in? I don't even feel like I have enough time in the day like as it is. I know some of you who are already, maybe you're sitting here, you're already feeling overworked, you're already kind of spent in life. You're like, oh, don't tell me to do something more. I don't have the time. Well, I do want to challenge that thinking. And I wonder if it's really about time. At the end of the day, we all get the same 24 hours. I would think it's less about time and more about priority. And, and, and let me just say it like this. For those of you too busy to have a daily quiet time, what if I made you an offer? 
and said, for every single day you get a drive to have a quiet time, I will pay you 10,000 rand. Okay, how many of you will be having a daily quiet time now? Okay, what just happened? What happened was there was a sudden shift in priority. Money made it important. Now, I kind of find it sad, and I understand it because I'm human too, but I kind of find it sad that something as temporary and earthly as money that has no eternal value can motivate us more than the fact that we get to build an eternal relationship with the living God in these times. But actually, even on your busy days, you probably manage to open up social media, read a news article, catch up with a friend, or watch a series on Netflix. Even on our busy days, we find gaps where at the end of the day, so I could say I didn't have time for, for God, but I probably found a little bit of time for those things, even five or 10 minutes. And the challenges. find a space in your day that you know will regularly be unhurried, and you say, I'm committing to spending private, dedicated, distraction-free, unhurried time with God in that space every single day. Step number two is to find a Bible translation that you really can understand. Now, two weeks ago, I broke this down. I explained to you why we have so many Bible translations. I'm not going to go into that again. But I do want to recommend you get a Bible translation that really is friendly to your brain, one that you really understand well. We know, like I spoke about two weeks ago, that some of these Bible translations started in the 1600s. Translations like the King James Version was translated in the 1600s when English was just very different then. And so I recommend you get a more modern translation. And I, this is a good thing to test around. In fact, there is an app that you can download called the Version Bible app. Everyone say Version. Uh, it looks like that. It's on all the app stores. It's free. Now, I recommend you download it because on the Version Bible app, you can see all the different English translations. I think there's over 3,000 of them. You can have a look at those different translations and see, play around with which ones really make sense to your brain. Because they all worded differently. They've been translated by different groups of people. Now, I want to recommend three, but maybe these three don't work for you. Keep playing. Keep looking. I recommend the ESV, the English Standard Version. I recommend the NLT, the New Living Translation, and the NIV, the New International Version. Those three are very English-friendly. They're a lot more conversational. You get ones that are even more conversational, ones like maybe the message, and you get ones that are more expository, like the amplified version. Find what works for you. If you've read the Bible and you've come away thinking, I don't understand the Bible, most likely you have the wrong translation. Keep playing. Why I like the Bible app, I don't recommend you do all of your quiet times on the apps just because of everything trying to fight for your attention. But why I like the app is you can experiment with different translations. And once you've found one that you really like, you can go buy the physical Bible knowing you have the correct translation. Okay, so I have a set time. It's unhurried. It's private. It's distraction-free. I know the type of Bible that I'm needing. Number three, I need to decide the type of quiet time I'm going to have. In my opinion, this is where the mature Christians often get it wrong. What I've seen a lot of mature Christians do, 
is they put a heavy obligation on themselves that quiet time must always look a certain way. And then when they drop the ball, when they don't do it that certain way, they feel like, oh man, I've disappointed God and he's so mad at me and what's the point? I'm not even gonna try again. Every time I try, I stop. My suggestion is treat this like a relationship because that's what it is. It's relationship building time and relationships are different in that dynamic. My suggestion is this. Before you start your quiet time, you ask God, God, what should we do today? And maybe today we just worship. Maybe today I do some art with God or I dance with him, I dance before him, or I, I sing some songs, or maybe today I just want to pray around the issues of my life. Maybe today I want to sit in silence and just be still and know that he's God. Maybe today I want to come to the word. But when we treat it like a religious habit and I must do it a certain way, it becomes a very heavy obligation. And most of the time I've seen Christians can't maintain it and eventually they give up and that is their downfall. Treat it dynamically. What does my spirit need? What does my soul need to do today? Don't tie yourself down to one thing because it's a relationship. And I just think if you had a relationship with anyone else, would you be able to sustain doing the same thing with them every day? Absolutely not. Imagine you're like, hey, you, let's build a friendship. Let's meet each other every morning at eight o'clock at that place for coffee. Guys, that's going to be really fun on day one. It's going to be still quite nice on day 27. It's going to be a little less nice on day 48, and you're really not going to want to see the coffee shop on day 115. Like, there's just no ways you can sustain a heavy religious obligation. So treat these times dynamically. God, what should I do today? Now, in saying that, I want to balance it out with this. Even though you want to treat these dynamically, you do want the basis of this time to be Scripture. And so the hope is that the majority of the time, you're coming to Scripture. Why? Because this is the number one way God will speak to you. There's many ways God speaks to us. He speaks to us through a still small voice, sometimes rarely through a loud audible voice. He speaks to us through other people. He speaks to us through music and through creation and through dreams and visions. So there's many ways God speaks to you. But overwhelmingly, the number one way God will speak to you is through this word. In fact, the Bible tells us that this word is quite alive. I want us to read two passages in 2 Timothy 3.16. It says, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Hebrews 4 verse 12. For the Word of God is alive. Everyone say alive. And it's active. Sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Guys, there is no other book or text that is alive. In other words, just read it. It will do the work of changing you. Just read it. It will do the work. And so you want to make sure as you come into a quiet time, that the most regular thing you're doing is reading the Word of God because that's how He's communicating to you and changing you. But every now and again, you want to mix it up and maybe just spend the morning in worship. Maybe just spend it journaling. Maybe just spend it in prayer. Do not make it a religious obligation. You cannot sustain that because this is a relationship. So just get this in you. And I recommend not falling below the four times a week at least 
that your quiet time is word-based. Why? Well, according to studies, there is something quite significant that happens not at one time reading the Bible a week or two times or three times, but there's a major jump when we read the Bible four times or more a week. It's dramatically different from the three and the two and the one. When I read the Bible at least four times a week, it has, it's proven scientifically to radically change my faith. Here's a study released in 2009 by the Center for Biblical Engagement. They said reading the Bible, not doing anything else, just reading the Bible at least four times a week, lowered your odds of getting drunk by 57%. Lowered the chance of you having sex outside of your marriage by 68%. Lowered your chance of you watching porn 61%. Just by reading this, a minimum of four times a week. Why? Because it's alive. It's living. Just read it. It will do the work of changing you. Just reading this, look at the good things. It hired the odds of you sharing your faith by 228%. You had a 231 higher possibility that you were discipling someone else if you read this four times a week. And you had a 407% higher chance of memorizing scripture if you can break the four times a week goal. So this thing, it works all those habits you're trying to break, all the things you don't like about yourself, you don't have to focus on those things. Just read the thing. Read it. Read it at least four times a week. It will do the work for you. Why? It's alive. It's living. It's active. I want to say, even if at first you're not fully understanding it, just get it in you, and it will do the work. It is a living word of God. So, even in being dynamic with your quiet time and asking God, God, what should we do today? I want to say, don't fall under four times a week at least reading the Word of God. Okay, so let's say it's a Bible day and you're wanting to read the Bible. There are seven, several different ways you can read the Scripture. So I want to start with the most basic one. We call it a devotional. Everyone say devotional. For those of you who have never tried reading the Bible before, this is where I recommend you start. For those of you who have been reading the Bible for several years, I recommend you go past this. What is a devotional? A devotional is a pre-planned Bible study that someone else has done on your behalf. So they've gone through, they've selected a few verses, they write up an encouragement or a little message, and then they end it with a prayer. All you have to do is spend those few minutes reading through it. You read the verses, you read the message, you read the prayer. On that version Bible app that I showed you, there are literally thousands of devotionals, literally on so many topics. You can do devotionals on, on parenting. My wife and I often do devotions on, their, on marriage, and you can do ones on faith and money and doubt. There's just so many devotionals, right? So it's a pre-planned Bible study. You just open it up every day, choose your Bible study, choose your devotional, and it does all that work for you. Great place to start. In fact, today... We've even printed out a bunch of devotionals, and we've again done it for you so you can see everything's laid out, what you should do day by day, a little place for you to write some notes. You can grab these for free at the information desk. I was told they were more popular than I expected, and there's only a few left already after the first service. They just went for it. But even if you don't get one of these, that version Bible app honestly has thousands of them that you can do. But this is only for those who are really starting out. I recommend you start with devotions. It gets you really used to the Bible. 
get you really used to how to process scripture. But if you've been walking with God for a while, I recommend you move to the second types of Bible study. What other kind of Bible study can I do if I'm not doing a devotional? Well, another type is called a topical study. Everyone say topical study. A topical study is when I choose a topic that I want to study in God's Word. Maybe I want to just read verses about God's love or about His grace or about maybe the gifts of the Spirit or the Holy Spirit and how He functions. A lot of your Bibles actually at the back will give you a word in the Bible and tell you all the places that word features. So that's one of the ways to do a topical study or you can even just Google it. Don't be scared to use Google for spiritual reasons, right? You can go, hey, I want to read all the verses on love in the Bible, print out what it gives you, and use that as a topical study. Another type of study you can do if you want to come to the Word is a character study. Everyone say character study. This is where you decide you're feeling like you want to study one of the characters in the Bible. So maybe I want to go study the life of Ruth or Esther or David or Moses. Again, some of the back of, sometimes in the back of your Bible, those, those character studies are laid out. And if it's not, again, Google's going to be your friend here. Don't be scared to Google that. Go ask all the verses on the life of David and it will give it to you, guaranteed. There's so many of those free resources available online. And the fourth and final way that I'm going to pump a little bit because it's my favorite type of Bible study is a book study. Run a book study. This is when you decide to read one of the books of the Bible from start to finish. Now, notice that I said one of the books of the Bible, not the Bible from start to finish. Let me remind you, like we said in week one, this book actually consists of 66 individual books written by over 40 authors over 1,500 years. So you pick a book to read, one of the 66 you don't really want to start in Genesis. If you're doing this for the first time, you don't want to start in Genesis and try to get through to Revelation. And you know why you don't want to do that? It's because our agreement with God has changed. In fact, from Genesis to Revelation, the agreement we have with God has changed seven times. So you want to make sure you fully understand this agreement and this contract before you go read the old contracts because it can get really confusing. It's like going to Vodacom or going to MTN or Celsius, whoever you're with, and whooping out one of your old contracts and saying to Vodacom, why aren't you doing this anymore? Hey, well, why don't you provide this anymore? What are they going to say to you? Dude, that's the old contract. It doesn't apply. Okay, the contract was updated seven times. We are at the last contract, which starts in the New Testament. You've got to make sure you understand What's happening with our new contract? Otherwise, you get super confused because you read through the old contracts and you're like, wow, these guys are like killing each other and this is, these sacrifices and they, they're sacrificing these sheep and this brother and sister are sleeping together. And he's like, what is going on? Why, why was it? Why this guy got 15 wives and now he can only have one? Like, what's going on here? Well, the reason is we are under a brand new contract. In Hebrews, it says the old contract through Jesus Christ's sacrifice was made obsolete. So now we read the old contracts because they teach us a lot about God, a lot about the history of the world and God's overall plan for mankind. 
But unless we understand the contract we now have with God, we're going to get really confused reading the old six contracts. So where do we start? Well, if you want to do a book study, which I recommend you get to at some point, this is how I currently do quiet times. I recommend if you're doing this for the first time, a book study, you, you start in the gospel of John. John is a really loving view at the life and ministry and teachings of Jesus. And as you carry on after John, you're going to find the book of Acts and Romans. These three books, along with the book of James, gives you a really practical insight into what this contract that we have with God is now about. What I recommend is every day you read a chapter, and as you read that chapter, you add onto it a psalm or a proverb. Just to give you a little bit of glimpses into another part of the Bible while you're reading about this contract we now have with God. Once you've done that and you really understand who Jesus is, what he's done, why we're here, then you're free to explore all the other books of the Bible. And the, the kind of the hope and the goal is that as you live this Christian life, that through your lifetime, you would have read most of these books all of these books several times. You go back to them again and again and again. Remember, it's alive. It's going to look almost very different to you every time you come here. You're going to learn new things. It's alive. It's deep. It's living. And so as you do that, remember not to be religious about it. Quiet time is relationship building time. So maybe your goal is to read a chapter, but in the first three verses, God's doing open heart surgery. You're crying before the Lord. This verse is like hit you like an Arabic. Stop reading. You don't have to get to the end of the chapter. God's already doing this work in you. So don't be religious about this. This has to be a dynamic thing. This is not about ticking a box. This is about building a relationship with a living God. And so you sit some time aside. It's unhurried. It's private. It's distraction for you. You've got the right Bible translation. And now you know whether you want to do a, a devotional study or a topical study or a character study or a book study. Okay, so now I'm ready to actually sit and read the Bible. What's my next steps? Well, there's going to be two steps here. Number one, before you open this book, you've got to prepare your heart. Everyone say, prepare your heart. Okay, Jesus teaches us that our heart is like soil. And his word is like seeds. And if our heart is bad, it can be like hard. And the seed doesn't grow root and doesn't produce fruit. Or maybe our heart has a whole lot of things in it that shouldn't be there. They're stealing that seed. We're in temptations. We're in trials. It's burning up the seed. So I've first got to make sure, before I open this book, that my heart is good. How do I do that? There's two ways I can prepare my heart. Number one is through prayer. To spend time praying, a simple prayer, something like this. Holy Spirit, thank you for your word. Before I open it today, I want you to know that I'm ready to receive. Point out anything in me as I come to this that maybe offends you, that you want to correct in my life. I submit myself to your word. I acknowledge it's living, it's holy, it's God breath. God, I'm ready. I acknowledge your ways are higher than mine. Okay, so... First is, I pray. The second way I can prepare my heart is through worship. Worship, just worshiping God, just spending time in worship before I get to the Bible. Worship is a great way to actually prepare my heart for Scripture. 
That's why, by the way, we worship every Sunday before we preach. Maybe you didn't know we were doing that. What are we trying to do? We're trying to prepare your heart. Worship gets your focus off of your life and your drama and your circumstances, and it puts it on the it puts your focus onto God where it should be. And when we're focusing on God, that's when we're the most ready to receive the word of God. So you might want to say, before I open the scripture, I'm either going to pray or I'm going to worship. Okay, now I'm opening the scripture. What's the next step? The next step is to read the scripture. Look at someone and say, read the word. And you want to make sure that you're reading it slowly and thoughtfully. This is not a speed reading competition. You do not get brownie points if you finish a chapter that morning. This is about building a relationship with the living God. You're seeking what God wants to say to you, okay? And so here's how I suggest you digest the scripture. As you open it now, my goal is to read a whole chapter. Okay, so I start reading at the chapter. And what I'm looking for is, is there something that's standing out for me? Is there something in this chapter that it's new, I haven't seen before. It's reminding me of something about God. It's pointing to something in my life, which by the way, you won't believe how often that happens. It's freaky how often I can come to the word because it's alive. And I'm reading it in the morning and I'm like, this text that's 2,000 years old is speaking about my life today. It's like, how is this possible? But you'll see as you get into this, God just beautifully lines these things up. Okay, so there might be something that just is hitting you. What do you do with the scripture? Well, I want you to then to write down in a journal, or if you're going to grab one of these, you can write it down on the sides in the lines we gave you. The word soap. You've heard it before. We've taught on this before. S-O-A-P. Everyone says soap. This is a great, easy, easy way to digest scripture. S for soap speaks about scripture. In other words, as you've read through that chapter, I want you to pick out one or two verses that really made you think, or maybe hit you, or made you see God differently. Just pick out something, okay, from that chapter that you think that really meant a lot to me. And you write out the scripture word for word. Now, here's, if it's a scripture that like really cut you to the heart and made you think, one of the best things you can do is commit that to memory. In fact, in my old Bible, uh, any verse that I wanted to commit to memory, I would write out in the back of my Bible. Those are my memory verses. And I want to tell you guys, it's really not hard. Some of you don't know any verses from Scripture. Just start this week and just make yourself a goal to memorize one Scripture a week. You know that if you did that every week, that next year in November, you would know 52 verses off by heart. You know what kind of spiritual authority that gives you when the devil comes with his nonsense and you just speak the Word of God to him? It's amazing. So you're not going to want to memorize every verse you write down, but there's going to be some you want to be like, I'm going to pay attention to this one. This is one I want to commit to memory. I can, I can use it as a weapon against the devil. So I'm going to write out the scripture. The O in soap speaks about observation. Everyone say observation. So I want to ask two questions now. What did this teach me about God? Because they're like, what did this teach me about God's character, his nature, his goodness? His will. What is this showing me about God? And the second question I want to ask is, what do I believe God is saying to me? What am I observing God is saying to me? And that's going to lead me to the A of soap, which is application. Everyone say application. 
This is probably the most important part of your quiet time routine where you're really trying to get to the nuts and bolts of how does God want me to live different now that he's told me this? What should I start doing? What should I stop doing? What should I increase? What should I decrease? What should I see different? Who should I treat different? Like what's the application to this? And that takes you to the P of soap, which is prayer. Everyone say prayer. And you can literally write out your prayer word for word. I love writing out prayers. I, in my journals, you'll see lots of dear God, this, dear God, that. It's just a great way to process your prayers. And it's a good record when you can go back and see all the prayers that God has actually answered. And so you just write this, scripture, observation, the application, and the prayer. And you do that regularly. And sometimes you take a break from doing that. Why? Because today I'm just going to worship God. Today I'm just going to pray and intercede over my family. Today I'm going to sit in stillness, or I'm going to dance before the Lord, or do art before the Lord, or I'm going to keep this a dynamic time, but it is a committed time, a private time, an unrushed time, a distraction-free time. I know the Bible translation that I need, and so I come before the Lord, because Jesus needed to do this, so who am I kidding? I've got to do this too. And my prayer for you, church, is that all of us would move away from spiritual starvation, that we would move away from spiritual anorexia, that we would get to a place where we're like, we're so happy feeding ourselves. We're not relying on anyone else to feed us because through the constant use of God's word, we have come to a place of maturity where now my focus is keeping myself fed so that I can now feed the babies and the children that are around me. And I believe, I believe part of the reason the devil has tried so hard to keep us out of God's word is because he knows the potential in you. He knows what will happen if you get this right. He knows what will happen if you regularly get the word of God in you, man. It will change your entire Christian walk. He's scared of it. And so all the more reason for you and I, church, to do it. And do it often. I really hope today that you feel like you have the tools to come and make this a regular part of your life. And I want to remind you as I close. There is no other way to have a relationship with God. If you want a deep relationship with God, there's no other way to do it. There's no shortcut. There's no plan B. If you want a relationship, you've got to put in that time. And so please, church, Feed yourself. One last time, look at someone and say, feed yourself. Let me pray for you. Father God, I want to just thank you for your word that's so good. Oh God, it's so alive. It's so beautiful. So encouraging. It's life-changing, Lord. God, you know the spiritual state of every person I cannot see their spiritual health, but you can. You know those here, God, who are hanging by a thread. And God, we know the signs of spiritual anorexia. Those people, God, who feel like you're far away. God, they're struggling to hear your voice. They don't know if it's you speaking or the world speaking or the devil speaking. They feel lost, God. They can't find your guidance. They feel dry spiritually, Lord. We know the signs of spiritual starvation. And so I just pray, Father God, that you would equip your children and encourage us and remind us to feed ourselves. God, that we would become a church 
of people who grow in maturity, that we would not stay babies, suckled to a bottle, waiting for someone else to feed us. But God, would you grow us up? Would you mature us? Would you help us cook and prepare? want to say to some people that they and you're calling them to teach you're telling them right now lord that their time for receiving is done they need to become teachers lord so i just pray that there would be obedience for those that the holy spirit is leading to do that god i thank you that your word does grow us. And I pray that you would strengthen our faith. I pray, God, that those who are spiritually starving would find so much satisfaction and joy in this relationship with you. There is nothing better, God. We designed for those moments. And God, I realize you're jealous of them. Every time they give their passion and focus to that social media and their work and their passion and their hobby, but they're not giving it to you, God. I know that creates jealousy in your heart. And so, Father, I just pray that we would get a sense that there is nothing better than to be in your presence. And so I just commit them to you, and I pray, Lord, may today, may today be a significant moment in this spiritual walk. May today be a moment, Lord God, where hunger, where hunger is dispelled in the lives of your children. I pray this now in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.